Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Hello and welcome to The Reading Life, your weekly look at the Louisiana literary scene. I'm Susan Larson. This week we're getting ready for Mardi Gras, so it's a perfect time to revisit my interview with Barry Jean Ancelet about his book, From Behind the Mask, Essays from South Louisiana Mardi Gras Runs. We'll hear a Mardi Gras poem from former state poet laureate Dr. Mona Lisa Saloy, and I'll have a parade forecast, pretty with a chance of literary magic among all the floats out there. Ansele has written a virtual library of books explicating Cajun and Creole folkways. He's Professor Emeritus of Francophone Studies and Folklore at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette and a Lifetime Fellow of the University's Center for Louisiana Studies. He's co-founder and director of Festival Acadien et Creole and hosted Rendezvous d'Escadien, a weekly live radio show from the Liberty Theater in Eunice, Louisiana. He did that for 24 years. Today we're talking about his new book, More Than 40 Years in the Making. It's called From Behind the Mask, Essays on South Louisiana Mardi Gras Runs, Perfect Reading for Carnival Season or Any Time at All. Now, Barry, this draws on 40 years of runs in various places throughout Southeast Louisiana. So how did you put it together and what brought it all together for you? 45, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> I first ran Mardi Gras in 1977 in Mamou. It was part of the, um, you know, the reawakening process that ha- was happening in the 70s, with sure. people becoming more aware of our Louisiana French culture and heritage and language and music and, and the value of all that. And, and part of that for me was uh, exploring different versions of the uh, cultural expressions that we had here. And, and I had heard of and then seen uh, the the Mardi Gras, the country runs. I grew up I grew up going to Lafayette parades, mm-hmm. and you know that's what I knew about Mardi Gras, other than getting chased by the uh, the Creole neighborhood Mardi Gras uh, who were trying to whip us. But um, the uh, other than that, you know, that's what I knew. And and then I I came across this other remarkable, you know, vital cultural connection, and I. I Got interested in it, and I and I had done some field work mm-hmm. in Mamou for uh, several years by then, and knew quite a few people. And they encouraged me to join them for the run, and I, I went in '77 uh, on a borrowed horse, <laughs> <laughs> which I never did again because that little Creole pony bit my feet all day long. But um, it turned around and bit my feet. But um, this sounds like a I, song, man. I, mean, <laughs> was, I know, right? So um, it was a fascinating experience. Really intense cultural bonding, you know, cultural expression involved music and masking and, and community solidarity and everything else. And it was just so rich. It, it pulled me in, 
And I ran a few more times in Mamu, and then I ran in, in Church Point, where I was born. And then I wrote a few things about my experience running Mardi Gras, uh, especially the first year. Uh, I wrote a, a paper for the American Folklore Society meeting uh, called The Mamu Mardi Gras from Behind the Mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I continued to uh, experience the Mardi Gras in, in, in any number of ways. I ran Mardi Gras, and then we revived the awesome Mardi Gras where we live here near Scott. Uh, and I, uh, with Zachary Richard and Newby Arsenault, and, and they made me be captain. We did that for a few years, and then I was also at the same time observing other runs and, and photographing them and, and writing about them and, and recording the events, including the music. And uh, every year there was something new. Every year it evolved, and so I kept paying attention and I kept going back and I kept going, discovering new runs and new aspects. And I kept writing about it. And, and 45, 45 years later, my wife Caroline had been uh, after me to uh, to gather these things together and, and do a book. And the folks at the Central Louisiana Studies were aware of all of these papers, too, and they were encouraging me to do this. And so I did, but with the caveat that they allowed me to write a part in the preface that I had stopped. I was not done. It is not mm-hmm. done. It continues to evolve. And and you know, this year and next year and the year after that, something else is going to happen that somebody needs to write about. But I, at one point, you you know, if if there's ever going to be a book, you just have to turn it over yeah. to the publisher, and that's what I did. Well, as you said, you live it. You live it every day. Yeah, and so I, I experienced it as a runner. I experienced it on foot, on horseback, in the wagon, in the musician's wagon, uh, from the captain's uh, seat. You've been whipped. Also, You've been whipped. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yes. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes in the book is from uh, the captain at the Grand Marais run, where I ended up you know, spending uh, most of the time over the last few years because it was such a, <clears throat> a, a complex and, and interesting uh, run. I, I uh, wrote a lot about it, and uh, Captain Thomas Desitel uh, wrote it. We used it in, to open the preface. Some of this is tough, but it's all true. Mm-hmm. Barry first. Barry saw us first from outside the circle, and then from inside the circle, singing and playing with us. Quite a few times, he didn't just see it; he felt it too. Lying face down, tête à pied, with his brothers getting whipped. Yeah, <laughs> I swear, I swear. It sounded a little scary at times. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit. It is actually, you know, if you if you especially if you spent a forty-year career being a university professor. You learn to depend on logic. You learn to depend on things making sense. And that particular run, well, Mardi Gras in general, again, it's based on carnivalesque humor, which loves pulling the rug out from under you. But um, that particular run, uh, in, which involves improvised theater and mock trials, and they accuse you of crazy things and always necessarily find you guilty no matter what logic you can propose. I know it's a game, but when you're in it, it's still disturbing. It's <laughs> <You know, laughs> It's, it, it'll 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 spin your head. Well, when you went to Mardi Gras as a professor, you were convicted of a particular crime. I know. <laughs> yeah, being a know-it-all. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> then I went. I went to that same Mardi Gras dressed as a priest one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to see what it would take to whip a priest, and and it took a lot. But they they saw me uh, distributing communion with Pringles, and uh, sin, and sin, noticed sin. that. It took a while for them to figure it out, but then they <laughs> accused me of, of heresy because I was distributing communion to Catholics and Protestants alike. 
So I'm curious when you when you go to you know scholarly conferences and you read these papers, how do the scholars react? Well, you know, some of the stuff is funny, so they you know they they laugh, yeah. but they oh, yeah. but it's also but it's also dead serious. You know, one of the mm-hmm. things that no, I noticed about Mardi Gras was that very serious issues, community solidarity, and and transition, and and issues of class and and gender and race and all kinds of other things are played out under the guise of disguise. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the things that makes it so incredibly interesting. It's play, but it's dead serious play. And talk a little bit about the role of women in Cajun Mardi Gras, because you know you yourself have been woman handled. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, I didn't quite mean for that to happen, but uh, yeah, there are a couple of women Mardi Gras, all women Mardi Gras, that maybe understandably use that opportunity to. To, to express some frustrations, social frustrations, <laughs> and become very, you know, uh, aggressive and 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 assertive. And uh, I I un, unwisely accepted uh, to hitch a ride on the back of the women's wagon in Tiamamu one year. They said to me that they were going down a dead end road. There was no place to turn around back there. I couldn't come with my car. I wasn't going to be able to keep up on foot. So didn't I want to ride? <laughs> well, wow! <laughs> I got on the I got on the back of the wagon, holding on with one hand. This wagon is going, you know, thirty miles an hour down a gravel road, and the women there decided they were going to moon the countryside with my butt. <laughs> oh, and no. uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it got it got intense. <laughs> <clears throat> but women have been a force in this Mardi Gras. Absolutely, and in any number of ways. Sometimes behind the scenes as, as the people who cook the gumbo and also provide the necessary infrastructure for in, in an all-male Mardi Gras for the men to do, be able to do what they do. They have to have somebody you know, driving the trucks and taking care of the kids and doing everything else that needs to happen to, to free them. But women have also been participating in the Mardi Gras at least as, at least as far back as the 40s and 50s, and they understandably use this event to express social concerns and, and, and observations. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like, uh, for example, the women, traditionally the caretakers of kids, play during Mardi Gras at kidnapping kids and teasing them. All kinds of really interesting things happen. Now, this book has some wonderful photographs, and many of them are yours. But one of the wonderful points you make is that some of the best things in Mardi Gras are never captured on film. And sometimes there's not a photographer around. And one of the great Mardi Gras stories you tell is the Mardi Gras hug for Loveland Poncho. Actually, I did get a, a shot of that. There is that is one of the most wonderful pictures in this book, I think. Truly. Yeah, and, and it's it, it's a little tiny moment, but um, Mardi Gras it's such a colorful, action-packed affair mm-hmm. that it's easy to see how somebody. You know, with a camera, whether a still camera or a moving camera, your attention is drawn to the burst of activity, you know, the burst of color, the whatever is going on. You typically the the dance or the chicken chase or something like that. Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, you know, anybody in his right mind would turn that direction and take a shot at that. But you know, when you point your camera in a direction, any direction, and not just during Mardi Gras, any time. You know, if you take a picture of your family at the beach, you're pointing it at your family, and you're not seeing about 270 degrees 
to the side and the back and the other side of you. And there are things happening there. Now, they're not what attracted your attention, but we have to remember that other things are going on. And in the case of, of the, Lo- the Loveland Poncho hug, what happened was <clears throat> the only reason I knew to look that direction when the photographers who were there were, were taking pictures of the, the chicken chase. Mm-hmm. And and coming out of the woods, it was a stunning moment. It was, you know, these deep, dark woods, and they were coming out with these brightly colored costumes holding this bright red rooster in the air. It was stunning. It really was stunning. You know, nobody in his right mind would not have looked there, you know. <laughs> and they, but but that was over, and, and, and then, you know, they were piling back into their vehicles, getting ready to move to the next house. And David Bertrand, uh, who I happen to know, who <clears throat> was involved in the Mardi Gras, he came up and told me, man, you're not going to believe what happened. You know, we were running out of beer because there was some more people than we thought. And Loveland Poncho found out about it. Loveland Poncho was the president of the Cushada community uh, at the time. He found out about what was going on. He sent some of his guys to get a few extra cases so we could finish the day. It was just a lovely gesture, such a lovely gesture. And some of the runners found out and so after the visit the, the bulk of the visit was over they went over to thank him and they all gathered around him in a, in a tight group and laced their arms together and got real tight and started jumping with him <laughs> this gorgeous Mardi Gras expression, expression of thank you you know it's the best and, definition and, uh, of group hug ever yeah and it's also the best definition of you know of social solidarity issues and uh, I would not have known to look that way except for David Bertrand pointing that out to me. So the point of that story is if you're going to come to an understanding of the whole event, you need help. You need mm-hmm. to be connected. You need to have David Bertrand's and Helena Putnam's and Mrs. Landry and, and uh, all of these people that have helped me. They've tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, do you see what's happening right there? Yeah. Here's, what, here's what's going on. That's who this is. This is what the dynamic is. You have to... It's a village. You have to have input and and you have to develop friends and develop confidants for that to happen. Well, this is such a wonderful and inspiring book. I'm really grateful for it. We've been talking with Barry Ancelet, whose new book is From Behind the Mask, Essays on South Louisiana Mardi Gras Runs, and it is a must-read for all of us in Louisiana. Barry, thank you so much for your time, this busy time of year. (laughs) Thank you, and laugh well. Hi, this is Mona Lisa Salai. Mardi Gras 2018, or... Our Mardi Gras. King Zulu Brent D. Washington, section leaders of the drums, the Southern University Band holds open contests where students pick leaders. There's tramps to Zulu kings and queens, acts of defiance, a parody of Rex in white Mardi Gras, opposite of their formality, Big cigars, black derbies, parade through black neighborhood streets, stopping at favorite bars. The witch doctor promises great weather. Zulu is black carnival. Black beaded and feathered warriors in new masking suits are black carnival. 1952, Louis Armstrong is king. Formed on Perdido Street, uptown. 
some social and pleasure clubs rejected dark-skinned projectory, buffoonery, the Zulu social and pleasure club way, mockery, exaggerated costumes, lots of African animal prints. Though the NAACP felt such stereotypes denigrated colors at the time, so black bourgeois rejected them. Until Brown versus the Board of Education. Until Ngawa Black Power. Until the Black Power Movement. Until the Black Arts Movement. Until Black became beautiful. Until some civil rights. All on the Mardi Gras Day film by Royce Osborne shows Tootie Montana, Chief of Chiefs. Tootie's grandfather, first of the original Creole Wild West, where the spy boy dances chants, Big Chief come in round the corner. Almighty Kudifayo. Three blocks ahead, paving the way. Fly boy one block ahead of Big Chief. Wild man used to be all low rung, but he protects the Big Chief. Cloaked in beaded and feathered suits of up to 200 pounds sometimes. Hundreds of cultural stories in uptown suits. Downtown, Craftsman Tootie, iron worker, metal latherer. Downtown, jewels and beads. And can see people parading, waiting for him to come. Neighborhood black Indians all want to be prettier than Tootie Montana. Social and pleasure clubs are benevolent clubs. The Rosebud Tootie, Alma Batiste, Lionel's sister. Miriam Reed, the original baby dolls. Men cross-dressing, too. The Dirty Dozen Brass Band. Well, my feet can't fail me now. My feet can't fail me now. Feet can't fail me now. Feet can't fail me now. My feet can't fail me now. Get some hot calais. There's Skull and Bones gangs, Skeletons. Al Morris, Skull Chief. Frightening experience. Big head, little head, bloody bones, skeleton heads. May find origin in Haiti. Loa, Madame, Brigitte, Baron, Samedi. Death, purple, wake up call. Enjoy life. You are next. Musical hearts from cradle to the grave. African rhythms, polyrhythms, African instruments. Accent beats of four like Donald Harrison. Without music, no dancing. Indian red don't change it. Black Indians tell stories, rap, chants, hollers. Black native indigenous bead with geometrical designs and African beatings tell the story. Al Johnson's carnival time. Well, the green room is smoking and the plaza's burning down. Black carnival was, is on Claiborne. Justice Green, Faith Gold, Power Purple, City of Ancient Ones, the Crescent City, Gulf and Mississippi Seaport, always international. Africans from Senegambia, April 30th, 1803, the Louisiana Purchase. Most Haitians came after that. The French, 1718, New Orleans, but we made it all new, past COVID and then some. Our hearts still warm as the sun. Thank you.
Every Mardi Gras tells a story, and this year is no exception. As you view the passing parades during the coming weeks, watch for literary references and characters filling the floats on our city streets. Here are some of the highlights. Sparta, rolling Saturday, February 3rd, pays tribute to inspirers of imagination. And Pygmalion, also rolling Saturday, February 3rd, takes as its theme voyages into imagination, drawing on stories such as Lewis and Clark, Gulliver's Travels, and The Odyssey. And of course, Mad Hatter's rolling in Metairie that day pays tribute to the characters in Lewis Carroll's classic with their theme, Magic of Wonderland. King Arthur, rolling uptown on Sunday afternoon, draws not only from the legend of King Arthur himself, but legends of showbiz in King Arthur Breaks a Leg on Broadway. Dionysus, parading in Slidell's Sunday, February 4th, is inspired by great American fiction. Here you'll find the adventures of Tom Sawyer, the old man in the sea, and Moby Dick. Another Slidell parade is the crew of Celine, with the theme of Celine's magical storybook. Watch for Harry Potter, Winnie the Pooh, and Alice in Wonderland in that one. Bacchus Parade's theme is Take a Number, Please, and includes such literary numbers as 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and 101 Dalmatians. The Centurion's Parade in Metairie Monday is Centurion's Goes on an Adventure, and some of those trips are literary. Journey to the Center of the Earth, for example, The Odyssey, and Journey to Neverland. But the parade I'm most looking forward to is Rex on Mardi Gras morning, celebrating the two worlds of Lafcadio Hearn, New Orleans and Japan. The floats will honor the Japanese writings of this complicated figure, especially his ghost stories. And watch for a special float recognizing his landmark cookbook, La Cuisine Creole. Like the Lafcadio Hearn's Fantastics Parade of 1989, this is sure to be a beauty. Happy Mardi Gras, everyone. We leave you with a little bit of Donald Harrison Jr.'s Hutane, which features his father, Donald Harrison Sr., who was an avid book reader. Mama. Uh-huh.
what's on tap in the literary life this week. The third Hot Nola Carnival multi-genre author event featuring 30 writers takes place Saturday, February 3rd at 1 at Harahan VFW Post 2367. That's at 1133 Hickory Avenue. There's a special admission fee from noon to 1, then admission is free until 6. A portion of the proceeds goes to benefit the VFW Tickets are available at Eventbrite and more info on Facebook. Musician and author Valerie Sassifras celebrates the release of her memoir, Horny, Lazy, and Ready to Spill, Stories from the Sass Queen, Friday, February 9th at noon at Blue Cypress Books. The event will include a musical performance by Ms. Sassifras, followed by a book signing. Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books, with major support from Rouse's Markets. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation, the Jefferson Parish Public Library, and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in The Reading Life do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. The theme song for The Reading Life is by Matt Perrine and Sunflower City. The Reading Life is produced by George Ingmeyer and is a production of WWNO. You can listen to us anytime or subscribe to our podcast at WWNO.org. And you can email us at life at WWNO.org.